it's just a cold. Because like, I, I did a COVID test on um, Friday in work. I've, obviously, I'm off work this week. So I just kind of came down with like a sore throat, really. I had a sore throat for about three days. But I did a COVID test and it came, it was negative. So just nice. mad because I didn't think there was anything else going around. You know what I mean? <laughs> no, no. So because like, when you cough once, it's like, oh my God, it's COVID. <laughs> so it's not, it's not COVID at all. It's like dead mad. So like, I just had like a bit of a... I don't think it, none of us are used to just a general cold anymore, are we? Correct. <laughs> yeah, automatically correct. think, oh, it's COVID. <laughs> That's what it is. Hello, welcome to the interviews from these three media. My name is Ian Barstow. Thank you so much for downloading this episode of the podcast. Hope you are doing well. And coming up today, we speak to Lee Wilding from the Far North. A band formed in June 2019 um, is an avenue for Lee's artistic work. And Lee is the former frontman of the UK Americana band The Fireflies. We'll talk about that. Um, Until the band came to the end, um, came to its end at the end of 2019. And he's been working with a well-known producer on a brand new album, which is out now. But we will speak to him and get lots of information about that. Hello, Lee. Welcome to the interviews. Hey, buddy. How are you, man? You okay? Yes, I am very good, thank you. Um, it is good. It is a nice sunny day outside. When we're recording this on, um, what are we, March the 29th, it's almost yeah. like a tiny little bit of summer is almost here. <laughs> it is absolutely beautiful, yes, of course. It's very nice in my native Runcorn. And um, yeah, if this is the kind of weather we can look forward to in the next kind of four months as we as we uh, crawl our way out of um, the dark times, <laughs> then, uh, you know, sign me up. <laughs> well, hopefully, and hopefully the, the, the weather doesn't suddenly go, well, do you know what? You can all go outside now, so we're just going to make it really bad weather, which is probably what will happen. <laughs> well, yeah, 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 most probably, yeah. Um, so welcome along. Um, your new single um, called Branches uh, was released on Friday the 26th of March. It's taken from your debut album, Songs for Gentle Souls, which is out now. And people can go and download and I have all the information in the show notes down below. Um, so the far north, um, explain the band to me. What type of music um, is it and, and what's the, the ethos behind the group? Yeah, I suppose it'd be um, UK Americana. Um, obviously, which probably sounds like a bit of an oxymoron, but like we, um, the Fireflies were called that as well. But I kind of wanted to go down the more acoustic route, really, you know, the the kind of more direct um personal uh sound you know the uh, the um that kind of like really intimate you know, like neil young and and um the likes of uh, you know some of bruce springsteen's work and city and color where you know it's not all encompassing rock band but it's just me and my acoustic guitar kind of singing into the listener's ear you know what i mean so i just wanted it to be a lot more direct and intimate really than, than the whole big band thing and and it's just like some of its roots are obviously in folk and some roots are in uh, country, alternative country. And it's just a bit of a melting pot of all those uh, genres, really. See, I've got, I've got quite a, a mixed bag of musical tastes. So I can go from the latest top 10 pop music through yeah. to a bit of classical, a lot of um, music, theater, musical theatre music. Yeah. Um, but also... I have a slight thing for for country and particularly bluegrass mm. music. I, I love. Yeah. I really got into um, Nickel Creek. Oh, great! Um, when they were when they were around, they've they've sadly split up now as well. But when they were around, their their first album is just it was on repeat for months for me. It's mm. just yeah. something yeah. strikes a chord with that type of it's heartfelt soulful music. I think, isn't it? Mm. 
Oh, very much so, yeah. band's been around since um, June last year. Uh, sorry, June 2019. Yeah. Everything's all moulding into one. Um, yeah. <laughs> did you manage to get out and do any particular, uh, any gigs um, before everything stopped? Yeah, we did one. We did the debut gig at Old Trafford, so Old Trafford Stadium, um, on the 8th of March. So we got invited down by the um, the guys from MUTV and the guys at Man United because the Fireflies had done quite a lot of things for Man United. You know, we played Paddy Crowen's 80th birthday at Old Trafford and we were on MU- MUTV quite a lot. And um, we were played, you know, behind the goals. We were played on match days. So we had a good connection with, with, the, with the football club, obviously, and season to goals as well. So... They invited me down as part of this like brand new podcast they were launching with David May, and um, like I said, I stood I stood in front of like eighty thousand people, played just with my acoustic guitar, <laughs> and uh, played these tracks um, just next to the, the monument of um, Sir Alex Ferguson with with all, all the ex players and all watching, and then I had free tickets and we beat Man City as well. So it was a it was a lovely day. That was the last thing I did before the world ended. It was a wonderful day. So it feels like it was like five years ago now. It does. It's strange, isn't it? It feels like it was a long yeah. time ago, but also it's just. It feels like this past year's just gone so quick. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. It um, is. Yeah. It's so. What's it like playing in front of of eighty thousand? What was the biggest? So your your former band. What was the biggest um, sort of gig you've done? You've done for them. Uh, Fireflies probably um, Sheffield Arena maybe or uh, Birmingham NEC supporting um, Stone Gods. I don't know, we did a lot, we were together for 12 years and we we did an awful lot of gigs, awful lot of shows, like supporting Noel Gallagher, uh, Ocean Colour Scene, that's just to name a few. We did some massive gigs, but yeah, we didn't play Old Trafford, so, you know, it was uh, like, like, so the first gig for the Fireflies as well was like the Canal Side, which was like in the middle of Runcorn. Obviously the first gig I did as the Far North was at Old Trafford, so crazy <laughs> how many people get to say that not many definitely not many um, <laughs> do you get nervous still when you're because eighty thousand people it's a lot of people but yeah. what's more nerve-wracking is it singing in front of eighty thousand or singing in front of a small club with 200 people where it's very yeah. close and compact and, and intimate because yeah. the old, old traffic is obviously it's a massive stadium yeah 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 um i don't i don't get ner- nervous at all really um i've been doing it too long i think like i said my first band warped I formed in 1995. We got signed to Matchbox Records, and we we were part of the whole Britpop thing. We never had a hit or anything, but we we released like three or four albums and kind of toured the, the world with that band. And then the Fireflies were the same. You know, I formed them in Canada, so it was just me. again. It was like it's like I've come full circle because the Fireflies were just me in Canada playing all over like Vancouver um, and uh, Calgary and like Winnipeg and all these beautiful places. So when I got back to the UK, I. Um, auditioned for like you know band members and kind of expanded it a little bit more so um i think i think i've done it too long to be nervous but then never say never because i've got um, a session with whispering bob harris coming up so uh oh <laughs> so yeah so I'm not, i think that's in may so at the minute i'm just like pretending it's not happening because that is really nerve-wracking so i'm like what so yeah but yeah so yeah i, I, I have it i don't usually but i think i probably will um, and i've not gigged for like over a year do you know what i mean so like, I'll probably be a bag of nerves, to be fair, the next time I go out. So, <laughs> Well, Whispering Bob Harris is is a name synonymous with sort of this type of music in the UK. He's a massive champion of, of this type of music and he's a massive broadcasting legend. Um, yeah, yeah. How have you found the last 12 months? Because obviously, you'd obviously started the new brand. I'd presume you'd have had gigs booked. Um, yeah. And you've gone from full diary to absolutely nothing. Yeah. Um, how have you found that? What have you occupied your time with? 
Um, well, it's very painful, really. I mean, I have the good fortune, and I do look at it as being good fortune, of having a full-time job. So I've worked the same job now for a number of years, and uh, it's very secure. So, you know, the mortgage's going to get paid. Yeah, I know a lot of musicians don't have that security. So, you know, I've never made that. It, despite all the years I've played music, I've always worked it around, like, hiatuses or holidays, you know, or just time off work. So I've always juggled it with a full-time job. So that kind of kept me busy. I was furloughed for a little bit like this time last year till maybe July. I did a load of um, like Facebook Live uh, concerts. You know, they were kind of like really nice. But then I think I, I did my last one in like maybe January this year because I'd done it for months. And I just thought, it's just not the same. It's becoming commonplace. It's becoming yeah. normal. Yeah. And I, I didn't want it to really. So I didn't do any more of those. Excuse me. And um, yeah, I just kept myself busy with, with work and like I say, the live things and just that really, you know, like I say, I go into work at eight, I finish at like half five or whatnot. So that was super busy. And just with the, with the kind of like interviews with the band and all that kind of stuff. But it's been very painful to not do any gigs. You know, I, I saw an interview with Bruce Springsteen, you know, the Apple, it was on Apple TV, that um, Letters to You documentary yeah. he, he released. It was really, really good. And they did the album, that album in like four or five days. And there was an interview with him with Zane Lowe and he was just saying that, because it was last October, that it's very painful to not go out there. And I thought, well, if Bruce Springsteen saying it's painful, then it has to be painful because, you know, he's the, the very top and he's got a whole big, you know, the whole show, the workings of it all. I'm just one dude and a guitar, you know? So if it's painful for him, it's painful for me. So, you know, but what can you do? Well, yes, there is. It's, it is what it is. Yeah, <laughs> we're, yeah. all, we're all going through it. it. It's a very tough time for the entertainment industry. So the theatre, yeah. live music, gigs, yeah. nightclubs, all of that sort of thing. Really, really tough time. We're hoping we're going to be back at the end, out of it at some point in the next couple of months. Do yeah. you get the feeling that that first gig or that first concert that people go to is going to be one hell of a party and proper, probably one of the best times of people's lives because it's just going to be like a, we're free, let's just have a wild time? Oh, I think so. I think as well, like, obviously when I do some shows, like they always you know, the ticket sales are always great and I always play to, you know, a good handful of people, you know, well, obviously more. But I think this time around with with everyone, there's going to be people just buying tickets for, for any gig yeah, just to experience live music. Yes. You know, if your favourite band's out on the road, well, if someone's in that wheelhouse, well, you know, you go and see them. So I think people might pick up, like, other fans, you know, new fans this time around. So, but it is disgraceful, though, the way the uh, entertainment industry's just been left to rot. There's been no, like you know, economy package or budget, you know, as far as I'm concerned, it's just been like, well, you're all out of work, deal with it, you know. What was it they said? You've got to reskill yourself at the start Reskill, yeah. That, that was it, it wasn't it? it? Yes. It's quite, I mean, I, I guess I'm very fortunate to have a full-time job, but if I didn't, I don't know how I'd pay the, the mortgage. And obviously, I know I know many, many full-time musicians, you know, friends of mine, you know, the people we've gigged with, that like the likes of Nigel, you know, and mentors, record studios, you know, record label studios. And, they're all just kind of like, what the hell? So it's just been so frightening for like for, for this um, sector, and I, I think people just think, oh, being in a band, you're just messing around. It's just just a bit of a just a bit of fun. It's not a, a means to to live or you know pay the mortgage. I think what a lot of people don't see is the yes, you have the one person on stage or the five piece band or yeah, but behind that you've got or your production crew, you've got your drivers, you've got your rigging crew, you've got your oh, yeah. all of the people. There could be. 150, 200 people involved behind the scenes in that one gig. Oh, yeah. So, yes, the main artist may have the income, but the the people behind it are 
they're just nothing now. They've got they've got no job, no no security or anything, and it's just all yeah. dried up. I yeah, it's it's very tough, and it's. I hope that people come back, and I hope that theaters. I'm particularly. I, I love going to the theater, mm, and it's yeah, been yeah. it's been such a, a shame not to see theater productions. Yeah. But you you just hope they've they've had enough to survive. Um, but I've got a feeling that quite a lot of venues and theaters and cinemas may not wait, may not reopen again. I completely agree. I think there's got a lot of them that have just you know they've they've gone down, they've gone destitute, and they won't they won't bounce back. And it's 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 absolutely awful. I saw a thing. Funny enough, what you say about the road crew and whatnot, because I saw a thing on Shed Seven's um, YouTube this week, and obviously they I think Rick Witter had said that you know. We're, you know we're in the band and you know we're a lot of this moving parts are kind of all right really in this lockdown we're kind of getting through it but you've got to think of what you've just said Ian the uh, the road crew so they've done these shed seven road crew t-shirts and obviously all the sales of that just go straight to their staff that they're keeping on so you know no one's thought of stuff like that you know no one's thought of stuff like that it's uh it's horrendous really yeah, I, I say I just hope I, I've got a feeling that if or well, Glastonbury is obviously isn't on this year, but some of the if the yeah. festivals are on, there will just be yeah. brilliant times. Um, right, let's move on from COVID. Let's look forward. Let's hope. Absolutely. <laughs> Fingers crossed that we're that we're on the right direction. Um, so you worked with um, well-known producer Nigel Stonia for this album, um, your yeah. your new album. Um, what was it like working with him? And what's your what what was your song partnership like? What was your your writing and your producing partnership like working with him? Yeah, so I had a chance meeting with uh, with Nigel back in two thousand and eighteen, I think it was. Obviously, you know, I've been a big fan of him and and the, the music he's made and produced. And uh, he put the Fireflies on um, the Words of Music Festival that he curates in in Nantwich. So he approached me at the end of it. He watched the gig. He, he approached me at the end of it and just said. Um, if I ever want to do anything that's a bit more singer-songwriter, a bit more acoustic with just me, then, you know, let's let's talk kind of thing. So really serendipitously, in early June 2019, the Fireflies has been split up for like a week. And um, we didn't put on social media or anything. No one knew about it. And Nigel rang me out of the blue and just said, how, how did the Fireflies' fifth album go? You know, did you release it and blah, blah, blah. And I said, no, we didn't actually. And he was like, oh, right, okay. He said, what are you up to? I said, well... Um, I've kind of formed a, a new band in my back pocket, but nothing like it's just me and the acoustic guitar, really. He was like, Oh, right. He said, Well, what's it called? I said, Oh, the Far North. He goes, Have you got any songs? I was like, Yeah, I've got like probably about 45, 50 songs. He said, All right. He said, um, Do you want to make an album? And I said, Well, actually, I've got an album title, Songs for Gentle Souls, and I've got the tracks that I'd like to go on it. And his eyes kind of widened. He was like, Well, well this guy's got a plan. So I went over to Nantwich, which was only 40 minutes away from here. And we went for a nice cup of tea in a place in a lovely little snug called The Cat. And he was, we just, we just chatted for like, I don't know, maybe two or three hours. And he just said, I'd love to produce something, you know, even if it's an EP or an album or whatnot. So I spoke to Ian at Red Lantern Records, who obviously the Fireflies were signed to, and uh, the guys at the Analog Music Fund. And they said, we're on board with this. You know, we can, we can help fund this and, and the label would definitely put it out. So we were like, wow, that was a nice kind of chance of meetings, really, you know, yeah, the, the yeah. way it happened. And before we knew it, July, I think it was about July the 23rd, we, we were in Airtight Studios in Manchester. They literally started recording it. It was properly mad, properly mad, where Nigel had just come out of nowhere and was like, you know, how's it going, you know? And I was like, 
you know, the guy is, but he's such a sweet guy as well. Like, obviously, I wrote the songs and we demoed a lot. I'd send them to him and he was like, yeah. So he whittled it down to 20 and ultimately whittled it down to uh, 11, um, 11 tracks. And um, the process every day is like, obviously, he's like the captain of a ship where this is what we're going to do today. You know, we're going to listen back to what we did yesterday. Right. Okay. Well, today it's going to be drums, bass, a few scraps, guitar tracks. And he just had a plan. He had a, a total plan for every day. And I think we recorded it all in 30 days. So spaced out between um, July 2019 to February 2020. Um, and, and it was a really, really kind of joyous process. There was a lot of like energy and chemistry in the, in the, yeah. in the studio. And we think that we got like a good vibe on the album. We think we really captured some really uh, one-off performances as well. You know, that kind of, you know, the album sounds the same from start to finish. It's warm all the way through, you know, with the peaks and troughs and all that kind of thing. So, yeah, so the, the relationship between me and Nigel, obviously we've, we've remained really good friends, very humbled uh, by the opportunity and the experience. And um, it was just a really, really eye-opening, you know, thing for me, really. And that's how, you know, big-time producers work, you know. So it was it was very easy as well. It was a really easy process. You know, we were on the same page. We didn't butt heads at all. You know, there wasn't a point where I thought, well, that, that needs a tambourine or that needs a bit of piano. We'd kind of, I'd suggest something. They'd be like, well, yeah, that works. I do it. Let's, let's try it. There was you no know, nothing was kind of off the table, really. It was quite nice. There was no kind of like friction between us both. It, it was wonderful, really. Do you think some songs can be way overproduced, way mm. and and you sort of lose that? So you have, I'd imagine. Do you have you have a vision of the song in your or a vision of a, a vision, a sound of a song in your head? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and you get to the studio, you record it, and then if you were with someone else, they may go, I actually, you need to add that, that, and that. Just do you, have, to, do you yeah. have? So when you have a song in your heart, do you, do you do you are you open to suggestions to change, or are you definitely, definitely, yeah? Because Branches was a Firefly song; it was originally a Firefly song. So was Runaway in This House Is Ours, the three singles, and those versions are kind of like you know, uh, just a bit lackluster, a bit languid. You know, they they just weren't the um, they didn't have that fire in any of them. You know, and we didn't have a producer; we recorded them all ourselves. And you know, I'm not like saying anything negative about the fireflies but we did we were a rudderless ship for quite a while towards the end yeah and um so i kind of said to nigel i wanted to redo some of the old firefly songs and he was like slightly resistant at first like well you've got so many new tracks we don't need to revisit these but i'm glad we did because we got them right and particularly branches you know i always wanted the pedal steel on it i wanted the female vocals on it you know i wanted the, the energy and the how intimate the lead vocal is you know, yeah. just so much stuff. I wanted to, I, I wanted it. I wanted to envision it, and, and we did. You know, we, we we did. It was absolutely fantastic. So there isn't a track on there really that that is that that we didn't fully realise from from the embryonic stage of a bare bones acoustic track with like maybe scant vocals to how it sounds now, and, and we were very, very um, sure to not overproduce it. You know, because for me. One of the great albums of all time is, is uh, Appetite for Destruction. And I, I do believe that Usual Illusion 1 and 2, there's a great album there somewhere if you just put, put it down to one album. And you take away all the like the, the saxophones and the trumpets, the violins. It was way, way too overproduced. Mm. You know, there was too much going on with the album. And we were, like, I was very kind of like, you know, sure that I didn't want to do that or anything, just like all the bells and whistles and stuff, so... I think sometimes you you watch um, MTV Unplugged that used to be on. I don't know if they still do. Yeah, yeah. They, they I used love to do that, yeah. M- MTV Unplugged, and literally it was just acoustic. Yeah. And if if you're 
if you've got an, if you're an artist that can do acoustic because some artists can't some artists yeah oh yeah of course, they yeah. need they need the, the vocal and the stuff on the um on their microphones yeah but if you've got an artist that can do really nice a really nice acoustic set it's yeah. just so magical it's just so it is you can just sit there and just let it wash over you almost yeah there is a there is a magic there is a chemistry a force um with acoustic music you know just a vocal and an acoustic guitar like you say it's so it's so overwhelming sometimes it's so raw that it very is the very the very bare minimum musically but yet you, you will touch people's hearts with it you know what i mean i'd like when when nirvana released the unplug thing i mean i loved bleach Nevermind, and in utero and even um in set inside or incesticide pesticide whichever no, the B-side <laughs> yeah. thing. I, I loved it i loved it and um but when they released that 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 unplugged i know there was like drums on it and a, like a violinist but geez it was so visceral it was it was way more potent than the nevermind you yeah, know it's it, because it wore its heart on its sleeve it had nowhere to hide but like you say there are you know i mean some bands couldn't do an unplugged like i mean pearl jam did a great one the black crows but i don't think metallica did one i suppose they did that big uh, snm thing didn't they but there are some bands that just can't get away with it and i hope to be an artist that can because obviously i write all the tracks on an acoustic guitar and there's not that much change really well i saw um one of the first ever concerts i went to i went to v festival um, oh yeah oh i hate thing i like 15 years ago probably um and it was one of the first i i hadn't been to many live music and i won tickets vip tickets because i work for virgin anyway and we oh, went yeah. we went to see a headline and the headline on the saturday was muse oh yeah um and I don't think I've ever been quite blown away by a, a performance because mm. they were just a wall of sound, a wall of, oh, yeah. of energy. They were astonishing. Um, but I don't know if it would work for them quite so well if they were just doing a an unplugged yeah. acoustic session because they need that oomph noise and that oomph feeling, I think. Yeah, I think. Uh, yeah, I hadn't thought of that, but you're completely right. Um, I saw Muse at the, L, the Lomax, the L2, in 1999. They just released Showbiz, I think Muscle Museum or Sunburn was the album, it, the single it was up to, and there was like two hundred people in there. It was incredible, but yeah, I think um, I think with I think with that band as well, like as incredible as they are, Matt Bellamy's voice really works in that setting. Yeah, but I'm not so sure it would work if it was just acoustic guitar, kind of belting out his high pitch, kind of you know just for for an hour and a half with yeah. acoustic. I don't know if it would be his vocals don't sit in the mix; they're very very much out there. But you know, maybe they might surprise us, and they might do an acoustic album at some point. You know, yeah, they may, they may, they may only be able to perform in front of a couple of hundred people to start with, and that might yeah, <laughs> might be one of their ideas. I saw a video of, um, and I can't remember the, her name now, um, but she did an a cappella version of "Oh Holy Night." Oh yeah, yeah, and it is absolutely stunning. The whole it was in a theatre, probably a couple of thousand people. There wasn't a sound, and it was just her voice. And it was just like, you know, when you, you listen and you, you get lips, you get the chills. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It was that. It was just, oh, can't remember her name, which is not very good if I brought it up. But it was, <laughs> if you search, <laughs> Oh, Holy Night Acapella, you'll find her. It's uh, it's very good. Um, Have you seen Hart's version of um, Stairway to Heaven? Have you seen that? No. Where? Oh, man, it's on YouTube, right? So Hart's version of Stairway to Heaven, like the three members of Led Zeppelin are like in the, in the crowd, like in a box. I think Jason Bonham's on drums. Like, I sent it to one of my friends who's a huge, huge muso, you know, really big music fan, like, you know, like us. And he was like, what have you sent me that for, Heart? I'm like, no, 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 give it a chance. They're a, they're a great, great band, Heart. Wonderful band. 
it is like it is that good that performance it's like it's emotional it's so good mate honestly you know i urge you to watch it yeah it's fantastic oh look at that and if you haven't watched um adam lambert um did a there's a a big um president's night i think they call it um but he was there performing um in front of shirley bass shirley bass or tina turner it's one of the bigs um and he did a, a not not an acapella, but a really stripped back vocal version. Yeah, um, of of one of the Queen songs, and it's just Jeez, oh, yeah. it's it's sublime, yeah, yeah. absolutely sublime. Um, yeah. Anyway, we can uh, <laughs> we can muse <laughs> we about music. Yeah, yeah. yeah, we digress. We can muse about music for a long time. Um, yeah. So um, you said you earlier you write you had sort of forty, fifty, sixty songs in your back yeah. pocket for this album. What's your writing process? Have you got a notebook where literally you get an idea or one line or, or a word or a visual or something how do you yeah. how do you come up with your songs um it's it's quite bizarre really I, I think anyway um i heard noel gallagher talking about it and i've heard um i think keith richards has said the same thing bono maybe chris martin you know and they said that the, the um the guitar or the instrument is a fishing rod and you can just pluck certain songs out of the ether so it sounds quite trite. You know, it does sound a little bit like, well, it's full of it, that. But that's how I've always written songs. So I sit down at the piano or or my get my guitar and I'll just start playing away. And if it's like E, C, G minor, you know, G, D, sorry. Like I've played those chords a million times, a million and one times. Yet this one time it's different. It's like a different vibe now. Yeah. And the words will come out almost fully formed. Like all the tracks on this album, most of the Firefly stuff, I don't tend to revisit it. I just, I go, so I press record on my phone, obviously. And then I go back and, and like write the, the lyrics down and I think, oh, that was a nice little change. So there's a little middle eight there. You know, I might do some slight tinkering with it later on at a later date, but every track on Songs for Gentle Souls was just written exactly like that. So just sat at the piano late at night or the acoustic guitar and just started playing. And these songs, just these lyrics just seem to drop from the air. And it sounds like absolute hokum like it really does like twaddle <laughs> but it, it, it's how it, it's like how i write wrote songs it's um so i'm quite i feel quite blessed with it really i mean i've not wrote stairway to heaven or this charming man i'm aware of that but you know in my little word world these are my little songs that i'm getting out you know is there any songs that you wrote when you were younger do you keep a, a like, have you got like a stack of notebooks? Yeah, 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 I got them all, yeah. Would you ever go back to some of them? And would you sort of go, right, I'm going to have a look at a notebook from 2009, pick it out yeah. and flick through it and go, oh, do you know, actually, that will be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, um, I was in the band Warped. So we, we formed that band in 1995 from my two friends. And during the lockdown, one of my friends, like towards the end of it, like September when it was a little bit more lax, my friend um, came round and we sat out in the garden and um, I had all the old warp notebooks from like 95 to 2003 and we were looking through them and like I wasn't like blown away by the content. Obviously it was my first band. I was only 16, but there was some stuff, there was some really good songs that we, we, we practiced and we played live for years that never made it onto any of our like three or four albums. So there's some stuff that's like ripe for plucking really that back there that I could kind of, <laughs> tinker with a little bit and make it a bit more earnest and a little bit more kind of far north but um but yeah i, I did yeah we both kind of looked through the books and we're like oh did we really write this stuff like it was so it was like wholly embarrassing really but it was a funny little journey to go down you know. <laughs> um how do you see 
the music industry at the moment. So obviously everybody has technology. So I've got, I'm literally sat in my house in the yeah. spare bedroom with a microphone and a mini little mixing desk to, to make this sound. Um, yeah. But you've got people now, you can go and pick up a, a sampling machine and you can go and pick up all the equipment you need for not that much money off, off the internet. We've all got really good computers. We can all record loads of brilliant stuff. But you don't seem to see many non-big band, non-big label groups breaking out still. You get the odd one. You get the odd ones. Um, Mm. Who was the guy that was number one with the Sea Shanty song? Um, That's an idea. I've not listened to the charts for 20 years. (laughs) (laughs) He was off off TikTok and he did a Sea Shanty song and that got picked up. That went viral. But how do you think artists can make money now? Because streaming doesn't pay, does it? No, 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 no. If I stream your song on Spotify... You probably get naught point naught 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 whatever pence. You don't get. Yeah, it's yeah, not yeah. like you're getting ninety nine p's worth of, of every time you stream a song. So how no, no. how do you think? How do you see this the music side at the moment? People consuming music. It's yeah, yeah. I think you know. Obviously, like songs for gentle souls had about one hundred and fifty thousand downloads and streams since November, which isn't a, a great number, but it's 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 there and it's doing what it did. Like I said, I put that down so there's no we can't gig you know yeah. we can't get out there so but yeah i think the uh the business model at the moment i think i think merch has got a big thing to do with it you know i think merchandise if you've got merchandise or vinyl you know people people come to your show and you know they're gonna buy it that's what we did with the fireflies and you kind of make you can make a lot of money on, on tickets and merch you know but i think you know you can make money musically with with cds and vinyl but like you say spotify the business models like it's great i mean uh, you know it's great for for the label heads and everyone that's already kind of made it. And I, I love Spotify because I listen to stuff all day long. It's yeah. fantastic. But not for me as an artist, you know, not by a long chalk, but it's just one of those things. It, it, it is weird to, to envision what's around the corner. How is this going to, because like you say, you don't really get many indie bands breaking through. I mean, I've never really thought of it as a, as a catalyst for what I wanted to do to, to become mainstream or, you know, I've always done like quite well out of it really, you know, I've filled lots of venues and, done some really nice support slots and played to loads of people. So, you know, but I couldn't, I couldn't imagine me going like top 40 or anything like that, or doing a, you know, a big tour support with someone that was massively mainstream, but I've never really wanted to. It depends what you got into it for, really. I just want to play my music to people that care, you know, people that want to listen to it. You know what I mean? People like me that are massive music fans, but, so you're not it's, the X Factor generation, then you don't want to be oh famous. My, no, absolutely not. No. Well, if if you want to be famous, you might as well go and murder a prostitute or something. Like, <laughs> yeah. like, that'll get you in the news. It's like no, no. Well, I'm 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 in my mid forties. It's like I'm well past that, you know. So like, like when X Factor came out in 2002, I was about 26. So I just was like, this is pathetic, you know. And it's like that. It's kind of vacuous, morally bankrupt kind of medium where. Like in the in the old days of Rome, where they they'd string the idiots up and stone them or throw fruit at them. It's the same thing for me, you know. It's just a like court jester, you know. When you get these people going, oh Simon, oh, it's been my dream since I was like nine, and they're like fourteen. It's insane. I'm, I never understand why anyone would make a a fool of themselves on, on national TV. See, I I, st- I stopped watching um, because it's when they start going, oh, like, oh yeah, I'm eighteen. When were you born? Oh, two thousand and two. It's like oh, shut up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're yeah, not 18 and bought into in the 2000s it's just not possible yeah. i know yeah <laughs> the, the 90s were only 10 years ago honestly <laughs> well last year 1999 wasn't it shed seven had only just released going for gold so 
It can't be 2021 now, Craig. Oh, no. It's it's so scary how quick it goes. How old are you, Ian? Uh, are you? 42. Oh, well, the same age. Yeah, yeah, so yeah, yeah. So my, you, look, you look very young, mate. I don't think oh, you're in your 40s. Thank you. Right, let me just clip time that. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I'll clip that one. I'll play that one I thought one you were out. about 33. Oh, bless you. So, yeah, my, definitely playing that one out. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, my music was... Um, I grew up a lot on on the dance music of the mid nineties yeah. and and yeah, that, yeah. and I always imagine. So if you go and visit your grandma or granddad in in a home and they're sat there and they're all singing along to Vera Lynn or something like that, when we when we end up in homes and our grandchildren are coming <laughs> to see us, we're gonna be we're gonna be there. Sand, Sandstorm will come on, or, or Robert, yeah, yeah, or Robert Miles or Sun, some, Sunshine, Dario G, yeah, something like that, and we'll all be sat there, and then all these old people will suddenly be going. <laughs> because <laughs> that's our music <laughs> it was it, the 90s was incredible like like that kind of um that dance phenomenon of like it was always a female vocal put yeah. to like it's incredible what an yeah. incredible time like ultranate and strike oh, and oh you know, yes. it was incredible and i i really enjoyed grunge and i enjoyed Britpop as well like ocean color scene and all those kind of bands like shed seven and, and, and oasis obviously but what a time the 90s was an incredible time We'll never see the likes of that again, no. unless they predict it and it happens. And guitar bands get to, you know, get money spent on them, you know. But the, the I've been listening to a lot of um, like Shed Seven and Ocean Colour at the moment, like literally going back and just consuming, you know, a Maximum High, Let It Ride, you know, Change Giver, their albums, and like they were incredible. They were so underrated at the time, yeah, because everything was Oasis, Blur, and Suede and Pulp. But Shed Seven and Ocean Colour scene. Like the, the musicianship of Paul Banks, the guitarist in Jed Seven, and Steve Craddock, and Oscar Harrison, crikey, they were yeah. they were like virtuosos. They are virtuosos. Yet the annals of history wasn't that kind because they weren't Oasis. They weren't Blur. It's like if they'd have come out any other time, they'd have been absolutely like as big as you two. You yeah. know, and it just wasn't to be because of. And now the people pop. people think Ocean Colour Scene, you think, oh, one hit wonder, maybe? They've had oh, bad one but yeah, they didn't. So many they, had, they had loads, didn't they? Yeah, yeah they, I think Shed 7 had like 14 hits, 14 top 20 hits. Yeah. Incredible band, incredible. Yeah, and now they're all almost probably mid-50s now. <laughs> they're not, though, you know. They're young, oh, they? actually. I think, I'm sure Rick Witter's only 47. Oh, okay, yeah. Like, so. they was, if you look at the video to On Standby and um, Chasing Ra- Rainbows and Bully Boy, they are so young. They're like teenagers in those videos. So they're still not even that old. It's that whole Manchester vibe, wasn't it? That whole Manchester. Um, I'm just going to quickly look. I'll cut this bit out. But um, have you seen the Sky film? Um, Creation story. Yes, that's it. Yeah, it's amazing. Um, Yeah, so it's it's absolutely... I'll be honest, I wasn't... I didn't really know of him. Um, The the name didn't ring a bell, but his life... Alan McGee. Yeah, his life (laughs) is just... It's one of those lives you'd want to live... Oh yeah, um, but not half the medical issues. I- <laughs> oh yeah, I wouldn't want to take smack or anything, no. or crack or anything like that. Yeah, yeah. But you or would love to be there. Before. Yeah, love oh, yeah, to be yeah. there. One of my favourite films is Being Famous. Um, oh, it's a great film. I, I great, watched great it film. a couple of years. I've not seen it for years. I watched it a couple of years ago. It's still, it's absolutely, it's so good. And it's like I want to do his job. That would be a f- imagine being. Oh, Lester Bangs. Yeah, yeah, imagine doing yeah. that. It'd be oh, amazing. Okay, so what's your early earliest musical memory? What were your what were your parents listening to that got you hooked in that music? I think um my mum listened to Motown almost ad nauseum, you know, and it was great. Um 
just the likes of you know the four tops, the Supremes, and Stevie Wonder and Smokey Robinson, and there was so many uh, the Jackson Five. Like it was just on in our house all the time, and it's such great music. Like you listen to that and you think that like a lot of them were so young, like so super young when they did it, and those songs will last until the sun burns out. Yeah. They're so incredible. Um, so for me, it was Motown. You know, I really, really liked it. I still do. It still gives me great, great kind of like nostalgia, like looking back on it. So that was my first um, first musical kind of experience where I thought, you know, I didn't know why it touched me. I didn't know why, because it was like maybe eight or nine. And then it wasn't until grunge and Britpop where I picked up the guitar. But yeah, I definitely, definitely uh, Motown. Love it. So I think mine was probably, one of the earliest moments I have in music is Simon and Garfunkel. Yeah, my mum yeah. and dad love Simon and Garfunkel. And it's it's one of those, when I was younger, you, they put it on, it's like, I'd really like this, but got to be cool. Can't, you know, you can't say you yeah, like yeah. Simon and Garfunkel. But now it's like Simon <laughs> and Garfunkel, so yeah, cool now, yeah. Simon and Garfunkel come on the radio. It's like, oh, I love this song. Um, what's your favourite band of all time? Hard question. No, The Smiths. Oh, really? Just, <laughs> yeah, I just love The Smiths, like, so much. I've been listening to them a lot recently. I think um, I just... To have said what they were saying in 1980, you know, one to 1987 or 82, just to, to have been like, I'm, I'm, I've been vegan for four years and been vegetarian for the best part of 20 because of the Smiths. And I didn't get into them until I was 25. So obviously that was, you know, around the dawn of the millennium. So to, to have said meat is murder, to have said it's okay to be different and to be, you know, just to have, like, all, their cov- all their covers were like so... Um, you know, they were like super avant-garde, weren't they? Like it was really kind of yeah. out there, you know. It was yeah. like just an incredible band. Like Johnny Marr is just like a wizard, like a wizard of, of a guitar player. You can't play how he plays. No one can. Johnny Marr can't play like that. And just <laughs> Morrissey's lyrics, just <laughs> that kind of romanticism, that kind of poignant, like death at one's elbow, you know. But yeah, it was funny. I don't know. I, we'll never see a band like this, the Smith. I mean, what a, what a band they were. Yeah. Um, what's your favourite live performance? Funnily enough, um, I went to see Johnny Marr in, in Liverpool in 2013. Obviously, in his own band, and um, he did a uh, for the encore. He was like, he's just like a live wire man. He was like, check it out, check it out. He was just talking to the crowd like they were his mates. It was amazing, and he played the, "There Is a Light That Never Goes Out." And to hear, I've heard Morrissey sing it, but to hear Johnny Marr sing it in a smaller setting at the O2 in Liverpool. Oh, it was incredible. Incredible, incredible. Wow. Is it one of those things that would stop with it will stop with you? Oh, but, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I was really emotional too. I was like, I had a bit of a cry because it, uh, music moves me. Music does that to me. And, you know, I, I just thought I'd never... Because I looked at the set list FM the night before and he was kind of doing it like arbitrarily. Like he wasn't doing it every night. Yeah. And then he just kind of ran back on stage and was like, okay, right, check this one out. And he was like, dun, dun. Do, 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 do. And that was it. It was, I was like, right, kind of like maybe 20 people back at the front, just being like, this is a moment, you know, this is a moment. Excellent. Um, if you could pick a ultimate lineup for a band, so hmm. who would it be? That's a great question. That, um, I don't want to be like, I don't want to go for the, uh, for the, the obvious ones really, but, um, <laughs> that is a great, 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 great question. Um, I think, because people are going to say lead guitar, it's always Hendrix and like yeah. Moon on, on <laughs> drums, isn't it? So for me, on the drums, 
uh, definitely Max Weinberg from um, the E Street Band. Like, what a what a drummer he is. I think um, John McVie from Fleetwood Mac on the bass. Just, jeez, what a what a bass player. Um, I think lead lead guitar is going to be for me Mark Knopfler. Like he, when I listen to Dire Straits, they just take me to a different place. And yeah. it's we're not in this realm. It's incredible. And once I heard, I think it was Fern Cotton from Radio One saying they were a guilty pleasure. They're a guilty but <laughs> Dire Straits. Not on my watch. What a band. I think vocally, vocals. Um, oh man, for me, I mean it's a hodgepodge of a band. This I'm going to go with. Um, going to go with either Ian Curtis or Morrissey. Like probably Ian Curtis, really. That yeah, I'm going with Ian Curtis for. for oh. And then on, um, I think we're going to go piano. Oh, probably Boom Gasper from Pearl Jam on piano, and on rhythm guitar. Uh, uh, Izzy Stradlin from Guns N' Roses. What a, what a what a fine. That'd be that'd be a, yeah, that'd be a gig and a half, wouldn't it? Wouldn't it just <laughs> crikey? Yeah, wow. <laughs> yeah, that would be a good one. Um, excellent. Right. So, um, your single um, "Branches" is out now. Um, we can yeah. find you on all the big streaming platforms. Go and buy, yeah. go and buy the song. Go and buy the song and buy the album, um, "Songs for Gentle Souls." Um, actually, go and buy it rather than streaming it. Get some money in. Um, yeah. <laughs> when um, <laughs> when are you hoping to be back on the road? All things considered, um, if we can pencil something in for like autumn, you know, October, November, then that would be absolutely great. You know, that'd be wild. But I'm just full of trepidation of. You know, a real at the moment, like my psyche is like glass half empty. You know, I'm just like, there's going to be a third wave, and it, you know, we're opening things up soon, which is great. We need to for, men- for mental health, for the economy, for ourselves. But I don't know, it could be like this time next year, really, before it really gets going that the live music. But you know, sign me up as soon as really, if it, if, if it will let us, you know. Well, I saw. I watched a video today, and um, in Spain, who have been obviously quite very badly hit as, as the rest of the world with COVID, yeah, they've yeah. had a um, a test gig of five thousand people in a stadium. Everybody oh. that went in had to have a rapid test before yeah. they could go in. They all had to have yeah. their temperature taken. Um, yeah. They're all socially, they were, but they were together. They all had masks on. They all had the face coverings on, but they were stood together, and, yeah. as in a proper concert. Um, yeah. And it was just. I, I honestly watched it on Twitter today and I thought, and it's, it just made me feel a little emotional because it's like, mm. that's, mm. it's such a, a normal everyday thing that is so alien to us now. Oh, it's mad, and isn't it? You watch, you watch a TV show that was filmed two years ago and they're oh, hugging yeah. and or they're, they're together. Yeah, yeah or they're yeah, sat yeah. in the pub and you're thinking, what are you doing? <laughs> yeah, it is. Honestly, it, the psyche, it's got us like that. Yeah. It's it re- I watched a, a Monday night football clip from, um, from just over a year ago. So it was the United Liverpool game. And Carragher and uh, Gary Neville were were sat so close to each other. It was incredible. They were like six inches apart. And I kind of like it now where everyone's a little bit like your, your personal space isn't invaded. I can't <laughs> yeah. be doing with the mask. It's like, I, obviously, I always wear a mask, but I can't be doing with that aspect. They don't like it. So I think if we can, if we can still be socially distant through etiquette, because who likes people here anyway? <laughs> and, and, you know, and we don't have to wear masks, then... Then, then fine, you know it kind of works for me. Bonus FBS. See, I, I'm I'm a motorsport fan, so I'm yeah. I, I can't wait for motorsport to be back open, so I can go and actually watch some motorsport live. Um, oh yeah, that'd be great. But I was watching um, the Grand Prix, and they had a few people in the crowd on Sunday, 
And it's yeah. like, oh, there's people there. It's There's people there now. Wow. Yeah. Bad. Very strange. Um, mm. So, yeah, um, Lee, um, thank you so much. You can find um, more about the band at theflynorth.co.uk. Go and download and um, buy the music um, from the Far North. Uh, Lee Wilding, thank you very much. My pleasure. Thanks very much. Thanks for having me in. Thank you very much to Lee Wilding from the Far North for joining me on this week's episode of The Interviews. Don't forget to like, follow and share the podcast and you won't miss an episode. The Interviews is a These Three Media Production.